Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. You know, I when preparing this sermon this morning, uh, well, not preparing, sorry, when going over this sermon this morning, um, I felt a deep conviction uh, that what I'm preaching you to this morning, I do not practice enough. Um, and so whenever I start a sermon, uh, or I start a sermon, and especially with this one, um, it's not an easy task. I have to approach the pulpit with fear and trembling because I'm dealing with God's word and uh, I <laughs> I don't want there to be any hypocrisy found in me. Um, so <laughs> with all this being said, I want to approach this sermon with humility. Um, this is a tough lesson today. Um, I think it's going to convict a lot of us. I, I, I hope anyway, it convicted me. Um, and I just ask that you would give me grace. Um, and that hopefully I, I will deliver the sermon um, with accuracy and with the wisdom of God. Um, but I actually wanted to tie this into Palm Sunday beforehand. Um, see, when we think about Palm Sunday, we, we, see, uh, we see the scene of Jesus riding into Jerusalem where all of his, well, a lot of Israel is uh, putting palm branches down and singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord which is a beautiful scene, but we see um, later on that these are the same people who crucified our Lord and Savior. Um, so it's a baffling scene. We look at it and wonder, what, what, what happened here? These were people who, uh, who were praising him, who were uh, receiving him as Lord, and all of a sudden they, they turned on him, they betrayed him. And um, when I think about this, I, I think about this in a modern sense of that uh, there are many today who are in churches who are praising the Lord um, who eventually at some point walk away. And we it's a heartbreaking thing, but we, we see that uh, there is something missing there. And that something is true repentance, right? Uh, when we come to saving faith, we repent, we turn from our sins. Um, and that's, that's something that uh, we we do once, and then we continue to do because we're still full of sin, and we uh, we often don't measure up to the standard that God gives us. But what a joy knowing that Christ's blood is uh, what purifies and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But with all that being said, I bring this back to Psalm 51, and I promise next time I return we won't be in Psalms. I I know, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I think this is a really great passage, and it draws a lot of New Testament parallels too, which I do have um, a lot of verses from the New Testament to tie in to a lot of points here. Um, but before I start, I would just ask that you would pray with me, um, that you would pray that God would get all the glory from this, um, that I will, that I would approach this with fear and trembling, um, and that I would be faithful to His word. Gracious Lord, I, I'm not fit to, to match words with adequate passion, um, to match the size of your grace. Lord, I can only do my best as uh, a sinful man saved by grace to preach this word faithfully. I pray, Lord, that um, your will would be done during this time. I pray that um, you would convict hearts, that you would um, tear down any pride that we we have built up in our lives, in my own life. 
I pray that you would convict us, Lord, that we would uh, see, we would, we would be reminded of our previously hopeless condition, and we would run back to the gospel, run back to the cross in which you shed your satisfying blood on our behalf. I ask this in your holy, precious name, Lord. Amen. Hey, turn with me to Psalm 51, if you would. Um, just to open real quick, uh, this passage is, uh, for a little background, I don't have time to read the whole the previous passage, but for context here, this was written after uh, David uh, committed the sin of sleeping with Bathsheba, um, killing his wife to cover it up, and this is after he's confronted by Nathan the prophet. Um, and this is his psalm of repentance. David didn't try to justify his sin. He didn't try to, uh, when, he was, when he was confronted anyway, he didn't try to justify his sin. He saw his evil and he repented. Um, so what's miraculous, what is, what is so amazing about this passage is that when Nathan confronts him, when David says, I have sinned against the Lord, he replies, this sin has been put away. You are forgiven from this. Now, we know David didn't escape the consequences of his sin, but um, it's, it's truly amazing to see how this all played out because in the Old Testament, the punishment for adultery was death. There was no sacrifice to cover for adultery. Um, and, of course, we know that you know, uh, Jesus' blood was shed before the foundation of the world, and that is how David was able to be forgiven. But... Um, when going through this, when approaching this idea of repentance, we need to understand that believers have a hatred over sin. We still commit sin, um, but our flesh is bent on sinning against God. There's a constant battle between the spirit and the flesh, um, and the spirit, of course, will ultimately overcome, but it is a hard thing. We are we see our sin for what it is, we don't want to do it, and we, we hate it. Um, and if I think we can look at Isaiah 6, 5 and see an appropriate reaction to sin. Um, when Isaiah is in the throne room in the, in the vision, uh, he, he sees the glory of God and he sees his sin. He says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Um, and again, <laughs> the Lord, Lord shows him the vision that he's been purified of his sin. Um, but still, it's when we see God's holiness, when we see his righteousness in comparison to our righteousness, um, it's not, it doesn't look good, right? Our sin is exposed to us. It's a terrifying thing. And thank the Lord for his grace and his, his sacrifice for us. But I get very, very concerned when I meet people. And I, I, I know a lot of people like this. And I was once like this because I didn't understand the full gravity of my sin. But I get very concerned when I see people who have the mindset of, oh, you know, I can just ask for forgiveness later. Like, it's okay if I sin. God will forgive me anyway. That's true. But that's a bad attitude to have. We don't obey God out of some obligation. We obey Him, we obey him because we love Him and we hate our sin. First um, John 3, 9 says, Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Again, First John 2, 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So, <laughs> There's a pattern which we can see in our lives as believers as we continue to develop in our faith. Yes, we still sin. <laughs> I still sin very much, but 
there's a constant desire to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to obey the Lord, right? Uh, so when I see this kind of attitude in, in churches, it, it bothers me, it grieves me, because I worry that this person may not understand the full grasp of the gospel. Um, and I've seen it so many times, people who seemingly love the Lord, and then years later they abandon the faith. And it grieves me. There's nothing more that breaks my heart. Um, but I know the story's not over, and that gives me hope. So let's go through this passage, and then we'll go through some points, and then we'll apply how, or we can see how this can apply practically for us in our lives. <clears throat> and again, with the Psalms, um, just a friendly reminder the Psalms are very good for us to have as prayers. So I prayed this Psalm so many times and have unfortunately become all too familiar with it because I need it. I need it so much. Um, let's go through it. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offerings. They shall be, they shall, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. So, the first point I have is that we, should, we as believers should have a grief over our sin. Um, and in verse 3, David very clearly acknowledges his sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. In verse 4, he acknowledges that his sin is against God. Right? Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight. That when you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. So, David obviously hurt other people in his sin. He sinned against Bathsheba. He murdered a man, sinned against him and he sinned against Israel as their king. But David doesn't make that a point to mention. He knows that, but he makes a point to know that he sinned against God first. And likewise, when we sin, although other people may be involved, our sin is firstly against God. Um, and it's the most serious sin because we've rebelled against the Creator who gave us life and breath and who sustains us and who gives us grace every day. So sin is ultimately first against God. And that should grieve us. It grieves me because I see my own inadequacy to the one who gave me life and breath 
and the one who sustains me and is so generous and kind, and I fail him every single day. And verse 5, you know, he acknowledges the fact that he was born into sin. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And that's the battle, right? Um, our very nature, our old nature, was sinful. We still have sin that, that lurks in our flesh, although we are born of Christ, but um, <laughs> it shows our condition. It shows how much we need God. And that's joyous to know, but it also grieves us to show that you know we cannot measure up. And David makes this a point. He's very grieved. So what does God look for when it comes to this idea of repentance? I think God very clearly looks for a broken spirit. In verse 17, David says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And previously in verse 16, uh, he says, for, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. So as we mentioned earlier, there was no sacrifice for adultery. It was, it was death. Um, and back in the Old Testament days, uh, to atone for sin, it was, a, it was a two-part process. It was just that Israel seemed to always forget the second part. Um, but it was sacrifice, life for, life for sin. Um, life had to be given for sin. So uh, it was sacrifice and it was repentance. People forget that. People forgot that then. People forget that today. It's not any different. Um, so how does this look practically today? Well, I think what we try to do when we sin is to cover it up with our good works and to hope to make make it seem like we can somehow atone for what's already been forgiven, right? But at the same point is we need to repent. We need to be broken over our sin. And that's what David's clearly saying here is that God looks for looks looks for first a broken heart. God looks for first um, desire to obey him and to make efforts to obey him. It's not just, you know, oh, yep, here's, here's my, I'll go to church this week to make up for it. I'll do, I'll, I'll spend some extra time in the Bible, all good things, but it can never buy what's already been bought. And in Hosea 6.6, 6, I think this is, uh, this is clearly mentioned. He says, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So these are good things, but if there's no change of heart, if there's no brokenness over sin, the good works, sacrifices are worthless. They don't mean anything. Point number three. Only God can make us pure. In verse one and two, David leans and if he would have known about the cross, I'm sure he would have thrown himself at the foot of the cross. He leans into God's mercy and his loving kindness, knowing that his condition is helpless. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There's abs- absolutely nothing we can do to make up for sin. It is only by the purifying blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And God is full of mercy and compassion, and he freely offers it. Psalm 145.8, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. Lamentations 3.22-23, through 
It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So I think a big part of repentance is throwing yourself at the foot of God's mercy. Acknowledging the fact that the Lord is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that is the heart of the gospel, right? Knowing that God is compassionate and he's, he's just, but he's also full of love and mercy and grace. And what a joy it is that the blood of Jesus purifies us. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And also what a joy it is to know that God does not keep our sins against us anymore. So far as the east from, is from the west is how far he removes our transgressions from us. In the first John 1, 9, this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I lean on this verse so much. <laughs> if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a joy. Last point. We should desire a life with no sin. In verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So he should desire a perfectly pure heart after God. And we have been given a pure heart. If we are in him and we are found in Christ, our heart has been made pure. We also still sin. So we do have a new nature, but there is still sin in us. And I think Paul makes this so abundantly clear in Romans where he says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Wow, that's hard to say. Uh, but what Paul's saying there is, is like, I, I see what I want to do, and I want to do what is right, but I do what I hate anyway. And that's the conundrum for believers, right? Is that we want to do what is right, we want to please the Lord, but our flesh has us attracted to the things to, to sin. Um, but the thing is, is like there's that desire there to please the Lord. And that's the mark of the true believer, is that our desire is to put to death the things of the flesh. Sanctification is a slow process. It's a painfully slow for me sometimes. But um, we can take comfort in knowing that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. Right. And in verse 12, he remembers the hope of salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And that's what we lean on in repentance. We, we lean on the promise of, of salvation. We lean in the promise that God will bring us to a completed work. So, in conclusion, what, what do we do with all this? How do, we, how do we apply this practically? I think we can do a few things. First, we need to understand that despite our sin, despite our constant unfaithfulness towards God, we can still be used by him. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to whom are called to them who are called according to his purpose. Um, I remember a few weeks ago, I 
I mean, I just, I failed. I blew it. <laughs> I was in such a bad state spiritually because I was just, I felt like I failed God. And I, I, I forgot this promise. Um, and it, it's amazing how, how generous God is, how gracious he is and lets us partake in his glory um, even when even when we're not faithful. Um, and I remember that week I had, I had three gospel conversations with people, more than I've ever had in my entire life in one week. And I was just blown away. I was like, God, why would you, why would you use me when I just blew it? And then I remember that as far as the east is from the west is how far he takes our transgressions from us. And we could take joy in knowing the price, knowing that the price was completely paid by Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be the righteousness of God in him. What a joy. We can remember that the Lord is merciful and gracious. <laughs> that is something to, tr- to really bank on. And <laughs> this is my biases coming in here. Take it for what you will. But I think we can also take comfort in knowing that um, when we are bought by Christ, we are kept by Christ. First John 10.28. I'm sorry, John 10.28 says, And I give them... I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And in Jude 1, the end of Jude, uh, one of the most beautiful doxologies I've ever read. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So that's what I take comfort, knowing that it doesn't rely on my righteousness. It doesn't rely on how faithful I am, although I should strive to do those things. We all should. But it's the work of Jesus Christ, which has covered all past, present, and future sins. Yes, thank you. If you are unrepentant, plead with God to give you a new heart. Pray for repentance. Now, there's a point which we repent, like I said in the beginning, we repent, and that's that's saving repentance. There's also there's also a process of continuance repentance, continued repentance. Um, there's sins we all still deal with. Some we probably aren't even aware of, to some degree, um, that we constantly have to strive to put to death. Um, and we can't do that unless unless God helps us. So we need to plead with God to soften our hearts, to um, give us continue to make our heart into a heart of flesh and not allow us to harden our own hearts. Um, and repentance is a gift from God, so we can bank on that, asking him with, with genuineness, with humility, that he will, he will give us that gift. Lastly, never become so prideful to believe that you no longer need this prayer. Um, I need it every day. Uh, I don't read it every day. I don't pray it every day, but I do. And there is a point um, 
in our walk with Christ that we are continuously being made more righteous. We are uh, continuously putting death to things of the flesh, and we sin less and less over time, sometimes really slowly, but it, it's true. Um, Christ began a work in us, and he will bring it to completion. So sanctification is indeed a process, but we're never going to reach a point where where we don't sin at all. That's, just, that's not biblical. Um, and so John MacArthur said it this way once. He said, there's a point uh, over time, the more, I'm paraphrasing, over time, the more you uh, walk with Christ, you're going to sin less, but you're going to repent more. Um, and I, I think that's the, that's the struggle of the Christian. It's like, yeah, we will, we will be sanctified and we will continuously put to death the things of the flesh. But <laughs> as time goes on, our grief for sin isn't going to get any better. Um, and I've noticed that in my own life too. The things that upset me and just grieve me today are not things that upset and grieve me a few years ago. So, Use this as a prayer um, if you don't know what to pray. Ask God to continuously give you a clean heart. Ask God to have mercy and to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ who freely shed his blood for us that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And that's the promise. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. That there's nothing we could do but Christ did it for us. So let's remember that today. Thank you.